1: Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats. I'm your host, expert layman Matt Goodwin, and per the usual, I am joined by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. Joining us for this installment all the way from the Pacific Northwest is Michael Lajato, baseball aficionado and Twitter King. We have so much to talk about on this episode, but before we get started with all of that, Mikey, how are things on the left coast? I'm good.
2: Um, I feel like like it's cliche every time i say this but this is one of like two or three podcasts on the picture network that i've like explicitly uh wanted to be on and now i'm here so i'm happy to uh
1: happy to be here with you guys well we're psyched to have you for sure uh there's a reason you're in high demand all around and everybody's asking you to be on there on their pods uh alex checking in with you down there in dc how are things uh, you know, things are
3: swell. Um, it was warm out today, and I got to sit on my uh, patio outside and um, not do work, and it was really fun. Um, <laughs> That's pretty good. It's a good <laughs> I hope day. I'm conveying as exciting as that it actually is.
1: Uh, yeah, it was pretty nice up here. I'm in New England, and uh, it was a pretty nice day uh, here as well. It's a nice change of pace. It was cold for a while. We yeah. still got a little snow hanging around, uh, fighting, fighting the spring, but... Hopefully we'll have that nice turnaround and be able to go outside and, and do fun outside things a little bit a little bit more often in the near future.
3: Mikey, is it raining in Seattle? I wanna ask this before we get too far off.
2: Uh no, it wasn't today. It was actually beautiful.
3: Oh, okay, good. Good good.
1: I have to say, uh, Seattle is one of my favorite cities. Um, yeah, Boston is my favorite city by far. Uh, really visited. Yeah. It's just a vibe. I, and, and I know Boston, sometimes the vibe in Boston, uh, is, is not the right, the right thing historically. Um, uh, but in terms of like the feel, the comfort, um, uh, Paris felt like that to me. And then when I got out to Seattle, it it felt very, very comfortable. Um, there are other cities around the world. I enjoy very much like New York loved. I love New York city, but it's just a different feel. It's a different vibe. Seattle's definitely one of my, my favorite places that I've been to. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of uh one of the things that you like to share with people on, on on the Twitters is uh is the the local food what's your favorite thing of the moment what's the flavor of the week here? um so
2: I posted a picture of this but I would say easily like the best thing that I've had in the past long while uh, was a suavemente um like Puerto Rican Elvis essentially. So it mm-hmm. was, uh, it was essentially uh, there was peanut butter. I would have to like kind of. Well, you like have peanut, peanut butter, bacon, yeah, uh, in peanut butter, bacon, maduros, which is like fried plantains. Um, really, really good flavors. Like such a, such a good sandwich. Um, so that that's one of the best things that I've had in months. Um, at Auto Seattle, uh, shout out to Eric Rivera. And then I was I was just on uh, Shag and Flies last night, and I was telling them about um, Hood Famous, which is mm-hmm. um, a Filipino cafe. Uh, like ninety percent of their products are like Filipino influenced. Some are just like Vietnamese coffee, but <laughs> um, super good. Uh, one of the owners is the MC from Blue Scholars, the um, rap group. And it's just, it's a super cool place and the food and drinks are incredible. That
1: sounds amazing. Uh, one of the things yeah. that I don't get living out here in the suburbs of Connecticut is, uh, is that sort of thing. And I definitely miss hopping on the train, going into New York or, or driving up to Boston or hanging out in the cities and, and having access to that kind of stuff. Alex, I know you have a lot of local favorites in, in your neighborhood. Why don't you talk to us about one thing you love and then we'll get into our number of the week. Um, So this is a really fun one that I got to go to
3: recently. Um, I went to uh, Comet Ping Pong in uh, uh, northwest D.C. and had pizza and wings recently. Um, Comet Ping Pong is known for many reasons that have nothing to do with food. Um, And I'll let those of y'all Google that in case you're curious. Um, But their single story building um, without a basement has excellent wings and really, really good pizza also. Um, So I, I really enjoyed my time there.
1: That hungry. sounds sounds good. I was just gonna say I'm gonna order some delivery while we're recording yeah. this thing. <laughs> okay. um, all right, we're gonna transition into our first segment. We do this uh, every week. Our number of the week, and uh, I'm gonna throw this out there. Uh, we're gonna talk about Vlad Guerrero's ADP. Um, the number right now is about 53. Specifically, when I looked it up, it was 53.19 for that. Uh, you know that point one nine of a person uh, wherever wherever that <laughs> draft is. Um, and, you know, I want to bring this up because, yeah, Alex, that's, that's Alex. Um, <laughs> I, I want to bring this up because I feel like a lot of people are split on Vlad, not so much because of maybe his potential or his previous performance, but because of the, the price tag. Um, and what you might or might not be getting. So um, I, I don't, I don't care who we start with here. We did uh, rock paper scissors last time, Mikey, when we had Scott Chu on, which was really a great visual for a podcast. Uh, so uh, you can decide who wants to jump in first here on this. But how are we feeling on Vlad Guerrero's ADP relative to the risk versus the reward?
2: <laughs> was that nose goes? Was that nose or nose <laughs> nose go? Let's nose see. goes. No, go- so you go. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> All right. no! You're it's right. supposed to be you. You're up. Right. We're really good at doing visual things. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I'm just looking at like the um, the auction values through the Bat X, and kind of what I was thinking about is Vlad has a little bit of uh, I don't know if prospect fatigue is necessarily the right term because he's been good, but he just hasn't been. The player that people envision when they think Wander Franco or Vlad Guerrero Jr. And just in like filtering by ADP, he aside, like outside of the positional adjustment, which I don't really take into account, he's worth like $13, which is like double of Aaron Judge, who's being picked right above him, Mm -hmm. uh, and more than Sarling Marte. So. Um, I think he is probably going a few picks later than he should be. Uh especially because first base is kind of a tough uh position to draft. Um so like if hmm, I'm trying to think. If Pete Alonso and Vlad were going back to back, which they are, uh going really close together, without looking at the numbers, I think I would probably just go Alonzo because of his team. Um mm-hmm. but I think I think Vlad's probably the better hitter.
1: I'd have to look. All right, I'm going to I'm going to push you to to something quick before before Alex jumps in and say if he only does what he's done. If he only does what he's done, are you still in the same camp? Um
2: yeah, I so I, yeah, I think you're right. Like definitely some of it is is that he has he has room to grow. Um, if he is what he is, then I would take Pete Alonso. I am expecting him to get better. Um, I think it would be kind of crazy if he didn't continue mm-hmm. to get better as a 22-year-old. Um, and I, I I, do think that the trimming down, it could help him in terms of just like A, staying on the field, and hey, maybe maybe it helps him get out in front of balls in front of the plate more, and <laughs> he he lifts balls some more. But um, the, the yeah, first think... best shape of his life that actually does matter.
0: Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I I think
2: I I think it uh, I think he's going to end up being maybe not the player that we think he is, but I I think he's more of a one thirty WRC plus player than the like one ten he's been.
3: All right, and Alex, where 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 do you land on all this? It's interesting that you bring up um the team context there cuz um I sort of think that divisional context might be the thing that gets Vladimir Guerrero Jr onto a team of mine this year. Um I think that the uh the AL East is going to um I don't know. I think it's going to be a video game this year. Like there's just <laughs> nobody good in that division. Um I I think I was looking through by I mean, I think ADP lies here because Glasnow goes before Ryu, but I would call Hunjin Ryu like the second best pitcher in the AL East, which is not a dig on him, but it is indicative of like in your mind, you're cataloging and you're like, oh, that's where we are now. Because like pretty much all of that raised staff that we would, you know, brag about is gone. Mm -hmm, Uh, You know, the Yankees have Garrett Cole, and they hope to get Luis Severino back for half of a season, basically. The Red Sox basically hope to have uh sail back next year and will let him pitch this year incidentally. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you you see where this is going. Yeah. It, it's also the case that a lot of these parks are pretty friendly. Now, they're not as friendly necessarily for righties. Um, but like we don't know how that uh that stadium down in Florida is gonna play for the non Toronto Blue Jays, but god i just cannot imagine a world where like i want to be a starting pitcher in that division um Mm -hmm. simply just because like one all the hitters are so good but like Mm -hmm. think about it the other way
1: if you're a starting pitcher in that division you probably got some job security so i guess i'm wrong (laughs) yeah so let's get back to this would you want to be a starting pitcher facing vlad guerrero jr this year um basically the, the way i'm thinking about it is like he's been
3: really good about making contact overall he's been really good about hitting the ball hard overall he's gonna have more teammates on base than he has previously had um if he just stops grounding out even a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, he's gonna be really good and that's like it's crazy to think like we talk about some guys who like you know the case where things go right versus the case where things go wrong are really wild and crazy but for volito it's so so thin it's just like does he make this change Does something different happen from, like, his swing plane at all? And, yeah, I I have to think the answer is yes. Like, there's literally, like, tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars writing on that
1: question. (laughs) Yeah, no pressure. No pressure, Vlad, if you're listening, and I hope you are.
3: I mean, not just from him, though, you know, like, organizationally. (laughs) The Jays stand to make a huge amount of money if he's someone that people want to buy tickets to watch play baseball. So uh,
1: I kind of think that he'll figure it out. Um, Do you think that just a hunch? And and again, I'll throw this out to both of you. Do you think that this is uh, maybe like a a case study for why we need to maybe tone down the hype on on the the kids and the minors? Um, I almost feel like he if he was just kind of came out of nowhere, everybody would be jazzed to have Vlad. Uh, and that he's suffering significantly from almost unrealistic expectations of what he was going to be at the major league level. Where do you guys uh, stand on on kind of that element?
2: I mean, I I definitely think it's a bummer. Like, he's been, well, he hasn't been a very good fielder, but it's not not his fault that the Blue Jays threw him over at third base. Um, You know, he's been a slightly above-average hitter. Uh, He's not a great runner, and, and he doesn't play good, great defense but i actually think he might be like a good fit at first base so this might be the year i mean it says like he is projected for three-ish war um i don't know how the projection systems i don't know how they they bake in um certain factors like uh, like i know the bat x takes a lot of stat cast into account uh do they take into account that he grounds like he puts the ball in the ground a lot because if they're just looking solely at his his batted ball data um, they're going to be pretty badly misled. But it looks like all of the um, projection systems like them plenty fine. So, um, yeah, I really wish that we would stop doing this to players because it really does them a disservice.
3: I will say a thing that I'm noticing recently with Bat-X is that they tend to really love a couple guys who have really high barrel numbers, but like have some wonky barrel numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can tell like what the inputs probably are going to look like. So like Nick Cassianos, who tends to barrel the ball a lot, but not exceptionally super barrel it, but also barrel it the center, which is a really good way to hit doubles and flyouts, <laughs> um, not home runs, yeah. um, is rated really highly in the home run projections from bat And you can tell that's just a place where their model is choosing not to include slightly more levels of factors in order to keep the predictiveness up. Because when you just add in more gunk to those prediction machines, um, they don't necessarily get better. You introduce more ways for them to be fuzzy, Mm -hmm. not necessarily more ways for them to figure out a guy, right? Uh, So, you know, like, I imagine for uh, someone like him who's got uh problems getting barrels despite his really high like hard hit rate sort of data there's probably some like there's probably some way that they're accounting for that um Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to incorporate directionality and like at some point you know the the gains in accuracy uh like going backwards don't outweigh the gains in accuracy going forwards you just kind of take what you can get
1: right Yeah. Well, I I think that this is going to be a big year to see. Um, uh, you know, I I think there is something to the best shape of his life. It seems as though he he really made a a significant effort and that the, the improvement started at the end of last year. And there was a correlation between his weight loss and his on-field performance. So I I want to see good things. I can say that with certainty. I, I want good things for the kid. I think, uh, he'd be a very exciting player for the league. Um, you know they probably would mismanage that and uh, <laughs> and uh, not capitalize on it the way that they should but um, I, I think he'd be very exciting uh, young young guy to see for you know the next 10 15 years um, mm-hmm. all right let's transition into our central question of the episode uh, this one's called just how to be right uh, we have a kind of our series about how to be right about specific things and this one it, we're going to talk a little bit more broadly about things in general. Um, you know. Here at Dugout Study Hall, we're, we're not the kind of pod that's going to do positional previews, so this is kind of as close as we're going to get. Um, we're going to talk a little bit strategy. We're going to talk a little bit about players, um, but what we're really trying to get at is where can I be right in my drafts where my league mates may go wrong, or how can I avoid being the one who goes wrong? Uh, and I guess we'll start with strategy and, uh, and Mike, I'm going to turn it over to you first. You recently participated in a TGFBI draft. So maybe talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit about that and we can, uh, segue into, you know, what was it that went right? What was it that went wrong? Who kind of fell to you? Who'd, who you know, how did it all work out, uh, in ways that you're happy and in ways that maybe, uh, you wish it had gone a little differently.
2: I saw a tweet from, <laughs> there's two tweets. It's one is, is Alex Chamberlain saying something about, um, and I can't remember the exact verb, the exact verbiage, but he essentially was like, the takeaway is like, everyone loves their team in the first 12 picks. And after <laughs> yeah. that, like,
3: you know, who, like, oh, oh no, I, I remember this one. Yeah. It's like, everyone loves their team after two picks and everyone hates their team after 12 picks. Yeah. I think, yeah. It's um, something like that. And so
2: I, I loved my team. Like I, I started off with story and I picked on the, the 13th spot. Story Bellinger Maeda Springer Hendricks mm. and I could not have been more thrilled. Like I, I got a pr- like pretty good power speed blend. Um, I'm not, I'm not sacrificing averages. Mm-hmm. I love Kent Maeda as, I like to call them glue guys. Um, but with some strikeouts yeah. and then uh, Kyle Hendricks, who's a glue guy with you know fewer strikeouts. Um. So for me, it was just kind of smooth sailing Um, for a long time. I got Catal Marte. I got Jeff McNeil at like one around like 100, which I felt like was criminal. I don't know why, (laughs) especially if you want average. He's a second baseman. Yeah. Like it's so tough to find these guys. I wasn't planning on taking Catal Marte and and Jeff McNeil back to back, but I was willing to do it. Um, And I think that's where things started to get a little more interesting. Like I took... I took Kenley Jansen after that, which like I wasn't thrilled about, but who's really thrilled about taking any closer mm-hmm. uh ever. <laughs> um Tyler Molly, Josh Bell, uh Geo Ur- Urshela, Ursula. Um I feel like one of my weirdest picks and I've been I've been talking to to Chase uh, uh <laughs> maybe one, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh once we got into, you know, like the twelfth round. Actually, so like the twelfth round and after. Um Devin Williams, I wasn't sure. Like, I I made it a really big emphasis this year to, even if guys are falling, it's not about getting the best values. It's about creating the best team. Mm-hmm. And so, like, in that Kenley Jansen spot, I really, really wanted to get Joe Musgrove. But in my head, I was thinking, you know, I already have Maida, I already have Hendricks. I don't need him. Mm-hmm. I do want a closer that I deem like a stud, like a guy that's gonna keep his job, is gonna, you know, put up solid numbers. And I think Kenley is that guy, even if he's sitting at ninety. Um And there's so few you know, of them in
1: the league, especially the way things right. are now, yeah.
2: Right.
1: Plus he's keeping a
3: good job, which
2: is like yeah. something to be said. That's that's a good point. Um and I was comfortable doing that. Like I one thing in this draft is I didn't even really have to get like Hendricks. I don't feel like, like maybe if I didn't take Hendricks, I I could have taken Mun, uh, Musgrove later. But I'm just once I have a foundation of any sort, um, I'm pretty comfortable getting pitching later. And mm-hmm. I waited a long time. Like I got Maeda, I got Hendricks, and then I got um, Tyler Molly at 133. I set the minimum at at that, and then someone else took him at 126. <laughs> The audacity, copying um, you clearly. Yeah, so I didn't. I didn't get another pitcher, another starting pitcher until the nineteenth round in Matthew Boyd. And maybe people think I'm crazy, but at that point for me, it was I'm chasing that K minus walk percentage, hoping the the home runs go down. And even if they don't, I have Hendricks, I have Maida, mm-hmm. and then I kind of followed it up with someone sort of similar, and you say Kikuchi, who. Has some warts, but I think can be like legitimately a top 20 pitcher, like an ace mm-hmm. and then Lindblom. So I've got a really weird starting pitching group. And this is actually kind of reminding me that I probably need to take another. Um, I do want to know, like, I am unsure how many starters and relievers to go. I want to know
3: if you guys have any input there because I have four picks left. So like, I think this kind of like starts to open up the can of worms that like I'm interested in, like when I, you know, I guess I didn't have to twist your ear to get you here. But like, (laughs) I'd like to believe it, which is like, you know, like how a particular sort of league changes the way that you're going to feel about things because you're going to set your lineups uh, for pitching once a week in TGFBI. Mm -hmm. and same thing for nfbc and i I think that weekly leagues are dumb and i hate them but i also understand that if you want to get a bunch of quote unquote industry quote unquote again professionals (laughs) to draft people Mm -hmm. um that you got to be a little bit lenient about these sort of things so that they don't just you know like all not want to do it so i'm assuming what you're gonna have something like like how many pitching spots do you have is it nine uh yeah it's nine yeah then like i don't know if you don't feel like that third reliever is actually going to be like adding something and i think that most of the time i'd probably be expecting to start six starting pitchers right so like Mm -hmm. how many more than six starting pitchers do you currently own
2: uh i don't know let's see one two three
3: four five i
2: have
3: six so how many relievers do you have uh three yeah i'd probably pick up another starter and uh uh, maybe roster eight starting pitchers if you really feel like you want to own a guy but the thing is like you know it's a question of like what your bench for it does for you in weekly leagues right and this mm-hmm. is like one of the big projects that i took on uh shortly after i started applying to PitcherList actually before i got even like hired by nick um was starting to fix like how we draft for uh daily lineup leagues uh versus weekly lineup leagues and slowly it became like a more broad like fan <coughs> graphs calculator is broken sort of like yeah. rambling into the void at like three in the morning <laughs> um but like there definitely definitely is like a very big under consideration for like how format is going to change the way that you approach things beyond True. just like number of teams and stuff like that so like um you know in, in your case people on your bench are going to sit on your bench for the most part um yeah. so you can afford to kind of like handcuff and afford to do things like you know like roster uh flyers like prospects a lot more than you would either or, like and in, in, like uh daily leagues um you know even in, like we're drafting for um a couple leagues i'm in that are going to be a yahoo daily head-to-head so you mm-hmm. like only get seven moves a week and then you switch like move people around so you need like a bajillion extra pitchers on your bench there because like you just want to like float them in and out of your lineup um but i imagine in your case that's not the case you just like want to grab people that you want to own so yeah. like and i mean like on the
2: board i speaking of handcuffs like uh trinan's there there's britain there is uh stalmont and bummer and pagan so i feel like between them i probably should grab another reliever and i feel like the person that's most likely to actually get that spot is actually someone that you referred to me in in hmm
3: yeah i I think that he's, like, an interesting, like, pseudo-handcuff, pseudo-dude to just stick in your lineup whenever you don't have, like, a good two-start guy at the end of your week. Like, Mm -hmm. in all likelihood, you're going to have to pick up, like, a starting pitcher or two of the waiver wire at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, the guys you're drafting aren't going to be the guys you have all year. Um, But the nice thing about Stalmont is is if he's occupying a roster spot, you know, I I wouldn't feel terrible. It's kind of terrible about cutting him loose or anything. Mm -hmm. But also, like... In the event that like you just don't like a matchup, like throwing him into your lineup is gonna help you out uh, in the long run. Like he's gonna get you some ratios help. He's gonna get you some strikeouts. Uh, depending on situation, uh, he could be a closer pretty quickly too. So it's a sort of like win win. Just keep your team okay, sort of guy um, yeah. that doesn't make your life harder. Well, I think that's <laughs> yeah. that's
1: something that maybe doesn't get talked about all that much. Is is the relief pitchers that that have those good ratios that are. Phenomenal setup, guys. in In today's game, they could very easily become a closer, or at least pick up mm-hmm. saves for you in an off week. And if you're the guy who has that person, and you don't have to go to the waiver wire to get them, when that change happens, that's a huge advantage.
2: Yeah. And man, so, I, was, I, I was I was I okay. was really Here, wanting to get like like guys like Hector Nerys and like Amir Garrett, or you know maybe someone with more job security, but. That's kind of why I took Devin Williams earlier is because he is going to give me super, super, super quality innings. And I saw a tweet from like Rob DiPetrio and he was essentially like, I don't understand why we believe in Devin Williams at all. Like he was not even good in 2019. And I replied and I was like, these are the two super simple reasons. His changeup is way different. He gets like 10 more inches of depth and um, he started throwing it way more. Uh, but Hater isn't like, he gives up a lot of home runs and he also walks a good amount of hitters. So he, it's not like he's like super secure in his job. I don't think
3: he's also left-handed. right? This is like yeah. a weird random thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how much a council cares about that, but it just in that regard, like they should realistically not have a closer in that bullpen. Mm -hmm. They should have a platoon that matches to, like, who's up. And it shouldn't even be about leverage. They're both, in my mind, equally capable of handling the last three innings or so. Mm -hmm. You know, if Council's doing his job right, those guys are going to mix and match. Sometimes one of them will be the closer. And, like, the move towards leagues without saves has to happen because the move towards good baseball is abandoning saves, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, managers don't care about your fantasy team. Uh, they care about no. wins and, and losses on the field. And, <laughs> Thank God. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure, of course. Uh, but in terms of, like, closer and how, how volatile it is, it's just so hard to try and build a strategy around it that you can have any kind of uh, faith in, even even those guys mm-hmm. at the top. So, I, like, I, while I on one hand, if you can be one of the guys that grabs one of those top five, right, and you have that, uh, that safety net, somebody like Jansen, like you were talking about um, – you know, it's, there's so few like that. Um, but if, if it's going to be a category and you have the closer and waiting who on, on a down week, you can still throw in and get good ratios and pick up a few K's. Um, I, I do think that that's uh that's a good way to go with those extra relief pitcher slots at the end of a draft. For sure. Um,
3: I want to flip like a little bit of expansion of this question we're kind of on to you and that's like if there's anyone else on your roster that you feel like you took here just because of tgfbi whether that's because like you're trying to are you trying to win the overall do you care about that i am definitely building my team to try my best
2: and i mean i'm not going to win the overall (laughs) i'm i'm i am trying to i also said this earlier today i'm trying to break the top 100
1: Uh
2: yeah yeah that makes sense and even then i'm not I'm not even sure that that's going to be a thing, but I am going to try my darndest.
3: (laughs) Cool. So, like, I'm wondering if there's anyone else in your roster that you feel like you would not otherwise own, but, you know, you have because of format.
2: Um, like, I'm not super thrilled about Adam Eaton being in my utility spot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) like... (laughs) That's a dude. I've heard of him. Yeah. Um, so, like, in, in, like, points... There's absolutely no way Adam Eaton would be on my team. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, A a weird Adam Eaton thing. Uh, One of the last um, actual real baseball games I went to was a Nats game in, like, peak
1: Baby Shark era. Oh, no. Um, Oh, it was was a lot of fun. And uh, in, like, the... Spoken like somebody who doesn't have a toddler running around the house singing at 24-7. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. Back. Um, yeah, like in the bottom
3: of the first, like before he comes up to bat the first time, uh, like one of their TV people, like pulls some random guy out of the audience, there's the crowd, it's a crowd, um, and it's like, yeah, like predict who's going to hit the first home run of the game. And the dude of all Washington Nationals players picks Adam Eaton, mm. and he homers in the first. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's way. got. Uh, yeah, he's got
1: the almanac from Back to the Future. That's cheating. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so he got a
3: signed bat. It was. <laughs> it was super cool to see, but also just like as someone who has maybe watched any baseball at all, I was just like in absolute disbelief. Um, I mean, I feel like I've seen some really weird things in nats games. That's
1: like a full court shot from a fan. Like that's. Yeah feels like it happens all the time because we always see it on TV, but it's so rare, right? Yeah. Uh, So we've talked a little bit about the strategy that you used, the format-specific stuff, especially that goes along with TGFBI. Let's move into some players. And and Mikey here, I'm going to give you the the floor to to kind of pick the guys you want to talk about most, and we can go in any direction that you want. Um, oh. especially those people who might, you know, either be like, nah, I don't want that guy. I've had him before; he burned me, or oh that guy's too old, or ah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know. This he's he's ranked three fiftieth, but you kind of believe he's gonna way outperform that that ranker or, or the the ADP. Um, I
3: think we have to talk about Tyler Molly here. This is we do. Like the thing you're betting you're begging for.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, we can talk about that first. Uh, obviously. I did set the min on uh, Tyler Molly, and I like him a lot because um, I think. So first of all, he he walk like his walk percentage was like ten percent last year, and that's not going to hold. A guy that has that good of command um, with that good of a fastball, like that's just not going to happen again. Um, I think that he has a chance to be something like I wouldn't be shocked at all if his. K minus walk percentage was like twenty three. Um, I think really he...
3: good for those y'all at home. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah twenty I... is usually the line for like a guy that you can just count on and set it and forget it.
2: Um, I think he can probably hold like a thirty percent strike percentage or strikeout percentage, uh, like a seven percent walk percentage, and not really have a home run issue relative to other pitchers. Um, I wrote him up. I really like him because I mean a. He has job security. He's like their number three starting pitcher, uh-huh. but also um, he added. So he added a ton of ride to his fastball. Um, and again, for those of you listening at home, that just means um, his fastball is sort of like vertically straighter now. It, it gives the it drops the, less. Yeah, it gives the illusion of like a rise to hitters, so it's harder to to barrel up essentially. Uh, It also, like, messes with
3: timing, I think, because, like, the lack of movement, according to your... Like, based on your expectations, makes it look like it's, like, not going as fast as it actually is. So, Mm -hmm. it, like, has a bit of an optical trick.
1: Mikey, can I ask a question about that? Is that related uh, to throwing harder, or is that more related to, like, a spin rate? So, it's two things.
2: One, you'll find a pretty strong correlation between um, velocity... Well, I wouldn't even say, like, a strong... um, Correlation, but basically, like if you throw harder, you're going to throw with better ride, unless you have a pretty extreme, um, like access of your fastball. So, um, like Tyler Molly has a super good, uh, active spin or spin efficiency. Uh Um, it's like nearly 100%. I think at some point in 2020, it was 100%. So he spins it perfectly, uh, with perfect backspin
3: nearly. Yeah, and... that's the thing that I think that we got to make sure we say there. It's like almost if you're dealing with like a like a pool shot, and you mm-hmm. hit the ball in such a way that like it's not gonna spin at all when it like ricochets off. It's just mm-hmm. straight up and down movement, basically, mm-hmm. right?
2: Right. Um, and so um, that just sets up a lot. Like if you have a good fastball, you don't need to do that much else. Like Brandon Woodruff is really good and has a really, really obscenely good fastball. His other pitches aren't that great. He just can throw his fastball ton because it has a 17% swinging strike percentage, which probably won't hold in 2021, but it's still pretty <laughs> good, and he'll still have a pretty good one. Um, so Tyler Molly is, like, he might be, like, my number one guy I'm betting on. Like, I think, probably... I mean, I set the min on him. Yeah. So, at 133, I think he is the guy that I'm betting on. Um, so... I mean, I think the other guys that I'm kind of gravitating towards are guys that people don't like because they're old. Um, <laughs> Buster Posey is yeah. one of those guys. Um, I don't think I don't think there's any reason he should be going at like 250 when a lot of guys like him are going at like 180. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So Buster Posey is one of my main targets. I got him in TGFBI. And I double tapped and and went Danny Jansen right after him. Um, I'm so another... happy
3: you did that. <laughs> Yeah,
2: I was, I was, I mean, that was, that was another, uh, uh, chase referral. Um, he was a guy that I was looking at, but not like a guy that I was specifically, um, like I need that guy. Um, Justin Upton is another fantastic example. And not only is he, um, you know, someone who is, who we're just biased against because he's old, but he also made some, some, uh, tweaks to his mechanics late last season and just raked. Um, so his numbers look really bad for 2020, but he's pretty good and actually like might contribute some stolen bases too. Um, I suppose the pitching version of these guys, even though he's not old, he's like he kind of pitches like I don't know. If you're if I was like Josh Lindblom is 37, you'd be like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm super into Lindblom. Like I I have him at like 76 in my rankings or something like that. Um, he, what is he doing? A, he is adding spin efficiency to his fastball. He made it um, like a huge emphasis this offseason. And he went from, I think he raised it like 20%, which is really, really significant. Yeah, Lindblom, um, not only is he, um, did he add a lot of sp- spin efficiency to his fastball, um, but I think he might have been working on a pitch or something like that. Um it it seems like everyone is adding a split change this off season. Like there are at least half a dozen pitchers that have done so and that I approve of doing so, but it's kind of you know, it 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 makes you nervous too. Well if everybody's um, doing
1: it, it's harder to tell who's doing it and it'll make a difference, right? <laughs> You're right. I
3: feel like if you guys have ever played like Out of the Park and you're like, I just want my two pitch guy to develop a changeup, it's like, all right.
1: Yeah, good <laughs> luck. It's not actually gonna be any good. Yeah, it's not yeah. gonna be a good changeup or an effective changeup. Well while, while we're kind of talking a little bit about spin efficiency, I think this is an important thing that I came across. So uh, if if the two of you could speak to it, um, because I think you probably understand it on a different level than even I do. Um, but it was really interesting about n- the spin efficiency, not only helping to keep it on plane, right? If it's 100%, it's, it's more likely to go straight, but it affects drop as well. And so Um, If you are throwing the ball at 94, but you have a really high spin rate and and spin efficiency, it's going to drop at a level that's equal to somebody throwing, say, and I'm making this number up, but 97 Mm -hmm. or 98. So velocity is not the only part of the story. And I only bring it Mm -hmm. up because I know a lot of people who are looking for these kinds of things are going to like – Um, Van Graaffs and Savant and and they're looking at numbers like how hard does this guy throw the ball right but that factor is really important because if if you're only throwing 94 but you've got that going on you're going to be more effective right right and it's I will say it's
2: not the only way to have a good fastball like Jacob deGrom and obviously he throws like 97 (laughs) 98 whatever but even when he didn't have that velo he he has a lot of gyro on his fastball. Like, he does not throw a Garrett Cole fastball. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely something that, uh, like, really needs to be taken into account. And, I mean, really, you can – there are a lot of different ways to look at this kind of thing. Like, you can just look at, uh, let's say, uh, like, vertical movement on fastball, which is oft- often what I'll do on Brooks Baseball mm-hmm. is I'll go – and I'm basically looking like, does this guy have vertical movement that's like nine inches or up? Um, and if he does, that means he has pretty good ride on his fastball. Um, so like nine's uh, your number you're looking for? Uh, a lot of the time. I mean, if a if a certain pitcher has like eight and a half, like if they throw hard, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Um, but so you know, like, there's no there's no clear cut way to to kind of do it. Um, but I, I was looking at one point to try and obviously like pitchers like DeGrom foiled this, but I was trying to <laughs> see, like, can we just literally take spin rate and multiply it by active spin rate and like get kind of a true spin rate? Um, and the R squared for I think swinging strike percentage was like fine. Like it was about as good as like um, normal spin rate, but obviously uh, it is just like philosophically
3: mm. flawed. Yeah, it- it's kind of weird. Like, I want to, like, go into the weeds on this stats thing and then kind of just try to exit
1: back into reality. Could, before a, a we bit. jump too far down, Alex, could you just um, – uh, bef- and, and I'm going to leave you to do your thing. But could we just uh, explain R squared? It's a, something that's thrown yeah, around Yeah, that's actually a lot. where I was going to go with Perfect, this. Perfect, because Practical. I think you yeah, yeah, yeah. hear it a lot, but I don't know that if everybody quite understands what that means.
3: Yeah, so um, I actually want to make sure that I say a lot of people who do statistical regression do not know what they are doing with statistical regression, <laughs> uh, and that can lead to some really weird stuff. Um, basically, the R squared is a measure of the amount of like correlation, and what that means is like how often does this one thing predict another thing successfully? Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily like future. Just like if I know someone's height, do I also know their Gene size or something like <laughs> right. that. Um, yeah. If I know that someone eats Taco Bell four times a week, do <laughs> I happen to know, Mikey? I'm not attacking you here. <laughs> <laughs> you Getting know, personal um, here I, on the I, pot. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's like one of a couple different ways that we'll, like, measure correlation. Something that's, uh, like, closer to zero is going to be less. Something that's closer to 100 is going to be more. And depending on the field that you're in and what you're trying to measure, um, you're going to have different benchmarks that are good. So, when Mikey says that, like, something about R squared with this particular thing, you just got to find a good thing to compare it to. So, like, uh, I-, I think that his, his like, true spin rate thingy. Um when you go plug that <laughs> so into your thingy, term,
1: The thingy. Yes. Of course.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You go ahead and plug that into your statistical whatever. Um you just want to know like, am I getting better predictivity of a thing that I think this thing would reasonably help me predict if I, I make was this not. change? Yeah. 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 Um so like um yeah we could probably do a longer episode where i just complain about people who don't know how to do correlation uh doing correlation (laughs) and thinking they're doing research because a lot of the time it's i don't think it's actually their fault i think statistics education is just awful (laughs) i am all of the statistics that i know and use i have taught myself through online textbooks for the most part and through youtube videos not through any of the classes that i actually took and paid money to learn statistics in um but I also have taught math before. So like, there's definitely also some aptitude bits there. So a lot of people don't have to have a good statistics class to go like learn how to do statistics. Well, Mm -hmm. um, we talk frequently on the show about how you just want to make sure that there isn't an opportunity for your numbers to be lying to you. Oh, a lot of people will try to improve R squared, but they won't actually get at why the number would be flawed, why two things would not be related to each other, and try to fix that in their query. Well, relations.
1: I would also let's throw out.
3: Yeah, let, let's probably kill this conversation. Yeah, we yeah. Can, I, I I, but I <laughs> mean, I think asleep. you could,
1: you could uh, theoretically, you could have two things that have a really good R squared, but are just coincidental, right? Like, it, uh, yeah, it doesn't yeah, Doesn't necessarily yeah, even way, causal and and that's another another thing to just consider yeah that's called p hacking <laughs> yeah so uh,
3: yeah no that's a that's a thing um or maybe there's just covariance basically it's, it's not causal right it's just like there's a lurking variable that's causing it it's like uh um to to talk about things like um often like people don't uh take into account childhood poverty rates whenever they try to co- uh, correlate like at childhood education and spending well it's like well, are you spending your money well are there other <laughs> things that are going to depend on or they're going to influence outcomes that have nothing to do with the amount that you're spending. Well, just right? like with so, anything
1: yeah. else that's statistical right if you cherry pick and, and you you're if you have an end game in mind you could probably find mm-hmm. a path mm-hmm. there right um to to uh get back to players there's one mikey if you would indulge me that i'd like to hear you talk about because i think this is somebody that uh um you're in on and uh and that you've you've done some talking about uh, and that's dylan moore you want to go ahead and, and talk to us about how you feel about dylan moore let's go Uh <laughs> so i don't know i i
2: will say that uh, um i have kind of tempered my uh a little bit of my love for dylan moore uh because of his batting average and i think even as a good hitter i think it's you know, it's something that probably peaks at like two fifty or two sixty. But um, I do really like Dylan Moore because he's going to steal more than almost anyone who isn't like Alberto or uh, what is Adalberto it? Alberto Mondesi. Adalberto. Ah, that's what it is, Mondesi or like Trey Turner. And so um, it's looking like he's going to go potentially like twenty twenty five um, with obviously good power. Decent batting average, like he's not Miguel Sano, and uh, perhaps the key is that he plays multiple positions. He can play second base, he can mm-hmm. play outfield. Um, I mean, he could get eligibility elsewhere. So he was one of my main targets going in, but um, I think like as a smart drafter, when I got Catal Marte, got Jeff McNeil, I could have taken him. Like he was a guy that I wanted going mm-hmm. in uh but it didn't make any sense for me even though i really wanted those steals
3: can, can i talk to you about a thing that scares me about him really quickly just because i am obligated to please um, <laughs> dylan moore had a 35 percent line drive rate last year um and that scares me because i know that nobody sustains a 35 percent line drive rate whose name doesn't rhyme with um petty preeman um so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah and even freeman's uh, like just an anomaly uh so like I have a lot of doubts about his ability to hit well enough to stay in the lineup if that regresses hard because he's you know not striking out at a small amount of the time um, and I mean the walks are nice but you know if we see him being like a you know like a, a around a thirty percent strikeout guy with like you know just high single digit uh, walk rate his on base percentage probably is going to dip towards 300 which is usually a scary number for people. So, do you have particular insights about him as a batter that are more uh, refined than my this number going to regress approach? Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I do. One thing that I'll say, I did write him up at Lookout Landing um and I'll say that there's probably a part of me that wants this to be real. Um even though I did it through a somewhat objective analytical lens. He cut his K percentage uh, 6 points, or 6%. Uh, he, he upped his max exit velo by 3 points. He upped his his dynamic hard hit rate by 5 points. Obviously, this is in a a, a small sample size, but his launch angle tightness was good. He changed his mechanics. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And I, I don't think that projections are going to be able to catch that, but I think that also um i think the projections you know he didn't do it for that long so yeah
3: that's always going to be a reason why they're going to doubt it mm -hmm. right
2: right so i actually kind of like him over um kyle lewis as a hitter right now and they're going in the same area but he is you know he has a lot more steals um one thing is that he only hit fastballs he was in the 95th percentile an ex against fastballs, sixth percentile, And Xwoba woba mm. against uh, off-speed and braking, which, you they know, matters and doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, pitchers already kind of adjusted. There's not much more that they can just not throw fastballs. Um, we did see kind of a spike in zone percentage towards the end of the year, but his eye isn't bad. It's just, you know, he he swings hard. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, I don't know. It does kind of smell a little bit like um a flash in the pan. I mean, he when you just kind of look at him, he doesn't have the look of the player that he was in 2020.
3: Um I don't I don't know how to describe it, but D- does it give you like Danny Santana vibes or does it give you like something no. that is not Danny Santana vibes? I've I've heard that
2: before and I don't I don't really like the I don't I don't I don't get that. Um So, yeah, there's definitely some legitimate changes that took place um i will say to your point about staying in the lineup i I don't think there's any chance he he loses i mean he might lose a couple plate appearances but he he can play so many places that Mm -hmm. at the very least he's just gonna move around more so yeah
3: yeah because like i'm thinking about this from like a um you know there's so many different ways to be right or wrong about a guy right um and and this is kind of where i want to take this direction where i want to find a Nope, that's not the words either. This is kind of the direction <laughs> that I want to try to, to like lead out of this with is that you know, when we're trying to put out this all together, we have opinions about guys uh, guys that we're willing to take when they're falling relative to everyone else, guys that we're gonna be really high on, or guys where like we just kind of agree with everyone else that they're good um and like that doesn't mean you always get them but you're just like yeah this other guy got him and i think that was a good pick for him yeah. uh and i'm kind of curious about what it is that you think you are maybe doing differently from people who are drafting uh, or like looking at players that like tends to separate you from the crowd and maybe also like what sort of blind spots you might have
2: um historically i mean in the past i used to be like especially when i was just playing in home leagues and and wasn't like writing for pitcher lists I used to be really bad about playing to my format and just like picking good players, which is good, but it's not good for fancy baseball. Um, so, hmm. I mean, and looking at my draft board, I think a lot of it is. I feel like I kind of draft differently from a lot of people, um, and I also I get my guys like I never really draft guys that I don't like a lot Mm -hmm. like I think Springer's a pretty good example of someone that like I don't love him I like him as a player but like um like there aren't that many times when I draft someone I'm like I don't really actually like them um the only time is when I need to make up a category um but pretty early on I made sure to to give myself a floor of like I said like the power speed blend um And I went Maeda and Hendricks right away. Oh, not even really right away. Like in the first five rounds. Because I wanted to just have guys that people kind of consider like blah. But they give me the ability to draft Matt Boyd and Kikuchi and probably another high bet on the upside K guy because
1: you've already got your floor built in yeah,
3: yeah. Well, it sounds like you know that you're not winning the draft in the first five rounds nobody wins the draft in the first right. five rounds mm-hmm. that's why everyone's happy with their team um you'll lose when someone gets hurt but otherwise like the only thing that's going to separate for you from the rest of the pack and like the other people in the other TGFBI leagues who drafted the exact same five guys by mm-hmm. rule of dice is that you're doing some crazy stuff later on relative to the field i think you seem to know that and i don't think a lot of people seem to know that like what their victory condition is Mm -hmm. now like realistically speaking as you look towards like this what sort of like things do you feel like do you worry about with this team and kind of like your things in general that uh like what kind of risks on players are you making um, in this in a, this draft, maybe more th- than elsewhere.
2: I think one thing that I I didn't say is that I don't draft like rookies. Like I t- I'm not going to draft Jared Kelnick. I'm not going to draft like even like second year players. A lot of the time, there's too much helium. There's mm-hmm. not enough reason to to rely on them. Like why would I do that when I could just take I don't know Brian Anderson, who's super vanilla but like plays a ton and is good. Um, So, I mean, really, I think the only thing is just over betting on my ability to um, find pitching on my own because I really like, you know, to wait for starting pitching from, I guess I I took Molly in the ninth round, but I waited for nine more rounds. Mm -hmm. um, And I only took one other pitcher in between then. So really for this to fall apart, um, I am betting a lot on Maeda and Hendricks to be my glue guys. Um, but I'm pretty confident in them. I, I honestly like. I don't think there are that many ways in which my team's flawed. Um sounds, last skills. words. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah,
1: but that's what you should. You, 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 if you've done it right according to your plan, if you've executed against what you're you're trying to do and adapt it in the way that you need to adapt as the draft unfolds. You should kind of feel that way at the end of a draft. Two weeks into the mm-hmm. season, maybe not so much, right? Uh, depending upon yeah. how things shape up. But you, you really should leave the draft feeling uh, a sense of confidence.
2: Right. And, I mean, if you look at my team projections, like I'm, I'm going to pull them up right now, they're not that great. Like, <laughs> um, So my, my hitting's super green for the first three cats, which are home runs, runs, uh, RBI's. Mm-hmm. No, I, um, I want
3: to like make sure I come back to that. Like, are those categories you always want to be winning, like strategically? Um,
2: I just know that I always inevitably end up with a pretty. Like, I don't. I hate taking guys like Sano. Like, I almost did, and I almost took Gallo, but I just, I probably just have flaws in terms of guys that I just don't like, and I just won't really take them. Like, it used to be. Um, I think a good example is Eddie Rosario, mm-hmm. super good player, yeah. like super, super solid in, in fantasy, but I just have some <laughs> weird bias against him. <laughs> um, so not necessarily, it's just kind of how it, it, it all,
3: yeah. I, I know, ask because I do try to actively win those three categories with every team. Like, yeah. I want to make sure I'm in the top three on every single draft I'm doing there. I mean, I try my best, yeah. um, yeah. And so, I mean, in looking at my
1: team, my weak spot is my pitching. Um, (laughs) But that was intentional, it sounds like. It was part of your play. Yeah. Was to to Mm -hmm. bolster the offense, to have green – (laughs) for those offensive categories and and then have confidence in your ability to go grab guys throughout the season that are going to make up that difference and that's that kind of bold move Alex that you were talking about before where that's the way you separate it's almost like a DFS kind of thing right where you have to zig where other people zag if you're going to separate yourself from the crowd in a format where there is that overall contest
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and so
2: really it's the saves um where this can unravel and Probably just kind of betting on myself too much. Um, I actually am pretty surprised at how green my offense
3: is because early, like not that long ago, it wasn't that great. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of those like how good is your team things. You know, they just kind of how many you got. They don't really assess how
1: much talent you have or how you know, They also the plan on right. that being your lineup for an entire year versus all the other teams' yeah. lineups being the same for the entire. I mean, it's it's a good gauge, but it certainly is not a predictor of of outcome at the end of a year. Um, yeah, and I don't want to, uh, to end this conversation at all. Uh, and, and in fact, I think because <laughs> of that, we're going to have to have you come back real, real soon, Mikey, but before we have to I'm let so you down. go, um, I want to, to shift gears here. Uh, we usually do a pass fail segment. We're going to, we're going to skip that this week and move to off the books, which we haven't gotten to, um, in the past few episodes. And, uh, I'm going to make you commissioner for the day of major league baseball and you have the power oh, to change yes. one thing. Uh, and it will stick what Ooh. what is the one thing that you would change first what's the one thing that the MLB should be doing right now uh, a change to the game a change to procedure a change to anything what would it be and why I would write the Cba myself <laughs>
2: does that count <laughs> like I feel like there are a lot of things but I would just make the game uh more equitable um and if it and if that is kind of like a Almost like a cop out. I would just do things to make the game more fun. Um, I don't even. I don't even necessarily know that because I mean the issues. A lot of them are aren't necessarily the game itself, but because I I think people would say there's a pace of play issue, and I don't even necessarily think that. I mean that it's even that bad. Um, Baseball and shorter than football a lot, yeah huh? a and there's not game really like
1: 11 minutes worth of actual action i think it's just right yeah it's that football happens once a week so people are more patient with it i think that's the only difference
2: yeah um so i mean i feel like the players can only be happier if there is a better you know like there's going to be a better product if the players are happier the players are happier if they're getting compensated how they should and it's not getting you know just going to billionaires mm-hmm. uh who don't need it as much so I think that's probably the change that I would make, which is kind of, admittedly, a, a boring answer. No, not at all. Um, I, and I can, think it's a can trickle I take answer. your
3: boring answer? Can I take your boring answer to eleven?
1: You can always you take things to eleven.
3: <sighs> I would force all of the teams to be sold and uh, locally owned by uh, fans, like the Green Bay Packers, <laughs> co-ops, <laughs> <laughs> or like the, the Bundle, yeah the Bundesliga. Yeah, every team needs to become a co-op. That's that's is that my, a thing. Um, yeah, no, like all of uh, German soccer teams are required to be fifty percent owned by fans. Well, but what about what about the Packers? That's why I'm, is that they're, they're like thing? they have a board of directors, but technically they are owned by the city of Green Bay. That's awesome. Yeah, so, yeah, so I would want Detroit to own the Detroit Tigers. I want the city of Baltimore to own the uh, the Orioles. That would keep them from ever moving. It would uh, mean that all publicly funded things that go into the things are actually, you know, just because they are wanted by people or whatever and not yeah. because some person asked for a favor and then, like, threatened to move the team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, public investment on youth leagues would be directly tied to things. It's it's such a more sustainable way to build sports is to make them publicly owned. Yeah. Um, like, the, a lot of... Um, like countries have decided they wanted to like win a world cup in soccer and then they just start publicly investing in like youth facilities in sports it's good yeah. for people in like a non-professional sports way too so i'm 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 very strongly opinionated about this being a perfect world thing of course um <laughs> we couldn't if tell if i were Alexis. made commissioner for the day <laughs> Um, they, the owners determine who is the commissioner. So they would ransack my office with, um, pitchforks that they had heated up in the fire first before they pitchforked <laughs> me so that I couldn't sign a rule like that. Um, but that is, that is the on 11 version of your that answer. That certainly is um, on 11.
1: Go. It got a little weird there for a minute, but it's okay. We're, we've come back. We're good. Um, Mikey, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, it was a blast. We will have you back as soon as you are willing to come back. And be a part of this. But before we sign off here on this episode, um, could you please let the people at home know all of the various places that they can find you? Plug your stuff because uh, it's 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 great. And um, make sure you're listening carefully at home and follow everything he tells you to do right here. So nice. Um, so the first thing b- before I say
2: any of that, I'm going to say make sure you get Mitch Hanniger Joe Musgrove and Tyler Molly in your drafts. Um, <laughs> yeah. You can find my work at Lookout Landing and Pitcherlist. You can find me on Twitter at Dysmyke D Y S T H Y M I K E Y. Apologies in advance for my tweets, but uh, no way, uh, no. no way, yeah. no. I I I throw in some some good baseball tweets uh, in there every once in a while, so it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's worth it. the. It's one of
1: the best follows uh, out there. Make sure that you, you Thanks, go man. and uh, and find that.
2: <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm I'm already excited to come back. I said that to Shagging Flies last night, but there's a reason why these were the two podcasts that I was really wanting to to come guest on. So. Oh. Super happy to have done this. We appreciate that
1: very much, and and yeah, like this is great. And we're like I said, I'm not just saying that because you're here. And then we're going to sign off and be like, we're never <laughs> having him back again. Ugh, no, that guy, definitely, yeah. <laughs> uh, as soon as possible. All right, so yeah. uh, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you at home for listening, um, Alex. Thank you as always. And uh, if you could go ahead and let the people know where they can find us.
3: Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at dugout study hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me.
1: All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next time.